Welcome, everyone, to the 17th episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing great, man. I think it's a special day for you, right, David? Yes, indeed. It is my actual birthday. It's also, coincidentally, a one-year anniversary from my last birthday, but also the Bitcoin price, uh, all-time high price. Um, so it's been downhill ever ever since then. <laughs> Perfect freaking day to do a year in review episode the day at the top of the Bitcoin price before it crashed. Bitcoin that day went up more money than Bitcoin is currently worth. So like it went from 16,000 to like 19 and a half thousand and Bitcoin is only like 3,200 now. So it was a single day movement more than the current size of Bitcoin, which is just kind of puts things into perspective as to how crazy that time was. I'm so thankful that I had the wherewithal to stop buying after 10000 That was kind of like where I was like, okay, time to pump the brakes here. Yeah, that, that's kind of at the was at the start of Crip Chat, our little uh, group chat. And uh, I just remember watching that in the morning. I was in a physics class, actually. And I remember getting multiple notifications from different apps about how fast Bitcoin was climbing. And I just stopped paying attention and started texting everyone. I was like, whoa, you guys, are you watching this? This is crazy. I remember when I was still uh, working at my non-crypto job, I had two monitors up and then one monitor was just always the GDAX pricing screen, just like constantly going. I can't believe I used to like watch the ticker like that. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, it's just not the same anymore. It just doesn't really give you the that much thrill or rush. It's just been uh, much more boring. I'm sure we'll be right back, uh, right back there uh, next bull run, though. Yeah, if you can, if you can wait for that long. There's this, there's this book I'm reading uh, called uh, "Understanding the Market Cycle," and he put the author put a really uh, good analogy out there. Is that um, especially when th- when things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies don't really have like the same kind of uh, metrics that traditional stocks have, and that therefore the market is a lot more pure. That you can see. Uh, just market psychology emerge much more readily in in cryptocurrency markets, and so the idea is that like the the absolute euphoria of the bull market and just the the total rise, the ridiculous like um, you know twenty percent in one day rises of a bull market. It's like the inverse for a bear market, and so like you can think of these two things as equal and opposites, and so like when people see Bitcoin rise from like fifteen thousand to nineteen thousand, they go like. Now, fine, like I'll buy. God damn it. Like, fine, I'll do it. And then I think the claim he's making is that like we're going to see the opposite of like the the total euphoria of the bears or the capitulation of the bulls coming down. And and people are going to see Bitcoin go from like thirty two hundred to like twenty seven hundred. And it'll be like, oh, damn it. Like, fine, I'm going to sell like I'll get out of here. And it's the same thing. It's like yin and yang to each other. It's just the inverse of each other. And, and I thought that was a pretty cool analogy. So where is that point with Bitcoin and where is that point with Ether? Ah, uh, gosh. I mean, I think the the final day of this bear market has to be like a 40 to 50% drop day with with a bounce. But like, yeah, like I think that would make sense. But that that would put us at under two thousand dollar Bitcoin, which just to me makes it makes their camp. It's just that's just too low. Twenty six hundred, twenty eight hundred sounds about right to me. But like, I have no idea. Sorry, I put you in the position to call the bottom there. I know no one (laughs) wants to put stake their reputation on whatever calls they make. I sure as hell am not. But man, 40 percent drop in one day. There's going to be a day where like people will be like, okay, that was it. Like, I, th- I think there's going to be fireworks slash blood 
going off um and then people are gonna be like okay that that was it like it can't go it can't go any lower because i will literally be able to buy it all from a development perspective fundamentally the major cryptos have improved a lot bitcoin ethereum uh zcash monero lightning network fun you know from a development perspective things are looking great obviously that's not all fundamentals since fundamentals happen to be users and clearly we have gone down significantly since the since the bear market began from a development perspective like you you can't help but you know for someone who's in the space you can't help but just look at this and be like wow a lot has happened in 2018 that was promised in 2017, and it's pretty exciting. Can't say I'm disappointed with the progress we've made in, in 2018. And along with the growth, absolute growth in fundamentals, we've also seen a growth in our ability to analyze these things. And I think that's a really important step into the future because uh, this is what is going to be comfortable, what makes Wall Street and big investors comfortable with buying into cryptocurrency is like uh, people bringing uh, good, solid data and, and putting things into terms where traditional investors can understand. Uh, because the, the, the pitch that, you know, there's only 21 million isn't really going to be enough for investors to get in. They're going to need a lot more details and a lot more analysis and a lot more just explanation, basically. And I think that's um, what Chris Berniski, if you haven't read his articles about um, evaluating crypto systems and uh, using the metrics to evaluate those. I think he's put out a lot of good work lately, so you should check that out. Uh, Christian's giving me a thumbs down, so I'm going to let him take the floor and give him his, let him uh, speak his opposing, opposing opinion. I think that Chris definitely pioneered a lot of the ways to think about network, uh, or sorry, uh, network fundamentals. But I also think that in the past like year and a half, he's had a lot of really bad takes. So I don't want to hate on the guy too much, but it's just hard to agree with some of the stuff he's putting out right now, um, especially when it comes to like governance and decred. Again, if you've been listening to this show, you know that I just do not believe in voting on the blockchain, adding in governance layers to these kind of like technical protocols. Um, I just don't buy into that. So yeah, I think Chris has had a lot of bad takes. Uh, would love to have him on the show though. So Chris, if you're listening... We'd love to have you on, and uh, we could talk about it. Well, I, I actually don't remember him putting out any content about Decred or anything like that, um, and so may, maybe I missed that. But like, what I have seen him produce is like actual metrics about like um, you know active daily active users versus price and, and overlaying those things, and that's a, basic, a pretty simple um, thing you can compare is like the the change in price versus the daily active users, and that's one thing that Ethereum has uh, is currently in a in a discrepancy point is that uh, the daily active users on Ethereum is still rising while the price is falling. And uh, we're at the large, we're at one of the largest gaps between the changes in prices and the changes in daily active users. And so what he, he's, and he, he makes it very clear in his article that like, this is not a good way to evaluate the system. And so, you know, you just because daily active users is growing, it doesn't mean anything about how price should be growing. But it's still a good metric regardless. And then when you see daily active users growing and price falling, it's, some, it's like a piece of data to take into account. I don't want to dwell on this too much. My only point is that we don't have a good way of measuring daily active users. That's kind of one of the purposes of a blockchain is, is it obscures that dramatically. Um, so I think that number could be gamed. Um, so I think it's difficult. But with that being said, I think something that is super important that came out of 2019 is 
the death of market cap being the most important metric. At least in the crypto woke community, people do not really believe in market cap that much. I think market cap makes sense if you're comparing one asset to another, but as soon as you start, you know, comparing every single asset that they allow on uh, coinmarketcap.com and I mean I should be slapping myself for calling these things assets but every single ticker on coinmarketcap.com um, as part of the market cap you know that is just a deeply flawed metric and I think that a lot of people are coming up with really good alternatives in 2018 um, and you know again the the way that people are thinking about evaluating these crypto network fundamentals um, is evolving dramatically and it's super exciting. Do you want to go into why you don't like market cap as a metric? It is really easy to take any crypto code base, copy it, rename it, put some marketing effort into it, get it listed on some piece of shit exchange or a DEX, and then boom, for some, and then apply for coinmarketcap.com, and then boom, you're part of the market cap. It's just a really, really weak metric. Yeah, so what, what Christian is saying here is that uh, when when you have this cryptocurrency that that you know is trading for a hundred dollars or you know point oh one bitcoins or something it'll have this you know market cap but what isn't reflected in the market cap is how much of uh, those tokens need to be sold for the price to fall and so as you go down and and further down the list in coin market cap less total um I guess U.S. dollar denominated value needs to be sold of the coin for that the value of that coin to plummet. Whereas Bitcoin, you can sell like millions and millions of dollars in a single day of Bitcoin, and the price won't move that much. But if you go down to even like ten or twenty on on coin market cap, if you're selling millions and millions of dollars, the prices of these things are going to just drop through the floor. Uh, and so that's a big discrepancy between Bitcoin and and other assets. Yeah, and I mean I don't even want to talk necessarily about Bitcoin, right? So. What, what you're really referring to is depth of market, right? So, you know, obviously Bitcoin has the deepest market, but compared to other assets in the world, its market is not deep at all, hence why it's still pretty manipulatable. Why coin market cap is a deeply flawed metric is because it is trivial to, you know, print a massive number of supply and then have any sort of exchange rate and then multiply the exchange rate by the trivial supply. You know, that supply may not be perforated throughout the marketplace in any way. In the case of many Bitcoin like forks, um, like Bitcoin Diamond or uh, Bitcoin Private that most people never, ever claimed, they're using, you know, 17 million coins times $5 or $100 or whatever and, you know, calculating X market cap when, you know, 99% of that is not even in circulation. No one has claimed it. No one plans on claiming it. It's irrelevant. Right. They have no ability to claim it. So there's really not, you know, 17 million coins to even multiply it with. So that market cap metric itself with these, you know, less legitimate cryptocurrencies makes absolutely zero sense. And then what's even more ludicrous is adding them all up together and then comparing it to Bitcoin and creating a Bitcoin dominant index. Like it just is a terrible metric. Uh, I'm going to stop bitching about it. But uh, again, a lot of people have been coming up with much better ways of measuring that. Um, I mean, even the stuff that Chris Berniski is doing is much, much better than, you know, evaluating these things based on market cap, like you saw a lot during the 2017 bull run. Uh, a really, really good piece that I liked uh, was a talk by Nick Carter uh, and breaking down what's called realized cap, which is essentially, you know, looking at the blockchain history and seeing which tokens we can assume to actually be in the system and then doing some sort of 
market cap multiplication against those tokens. Uh, so there's a lot of content online about that. Um, there's a uh, coinmarketbook.com, which essentially adds up all of the um, all of the buy orders for any token to show how deep a market is and how much the demand is. Again, you know, those are some references to metrics that are significantly better than coin market cap. Yeah, well, to coin market caps or to a uh, market caps credit, it's it's really useful for, like you said, going between assets. And so, if you're comparing um, like one one asset to another, and one is, has a three billion market cap and one has a one billion market cap, you get to ask yourself, like, do I really value? Uh, token A three times as much as I value token B, and so as a as a trader or as a, a value investor, as as if we if you can even be a value investor in this space, we don't really have any analytics at the moment. Um, it's harder to do that, but that's where uh, market cap really really shines. Is it really compare gives you a very concrete like this is what you're gonna get for this, um, and if you go from this coin to this coin, this is the the change in the change in um, valuation that you're going to get. And so it's very simple. And I think that's why people use it regardless of how propped up or gameable it is. So David, what would you say are, were like the biggest themes in Ethereum in 2018? Yeah. So it's, it's been a changing uh, narrative uh, all throughout 2018 as Ethereum has really taken root and, and people have learned uh, what uh, Ether is. And I don't even think that, the Ethereum community has really come to an agreement as to what the best things have happened in Ethereum and what where Ethereum is really going. Um, just because, well, it's such a decentralized and diverse group of projects that everyone has their own opinions. Um, for me, I think there is a lot of evidence to to show that Ethereum is starting to gobble up some of the best tech from other other competitors. For example, Aztec protocol is a method of uh, hiding or obfuscating the uh, the tokens that you are sending on Ethereum to the end. I believe it can also hide the addresses. Uh, so it operates in a similar way to ZK Snarks or Zcash or Monero. Uh, and so it's a way to privately transact between addresses. Uh, so you can see Ethereum start to like provide the same services as Zcash or Monero. Uh, so that's a pretty good, uh, useful feature. Can you tell me a little more? I read a little bit about it, but could, is it just it allows you to have private ether? Uh, I so ether is actually it's a little bit harder to do it with ether because ether is not a token. Uh, you can make it. You can uh, create wrapped ether, which is like wrapping up. It's like having an, an Ethereum backed token. So it's like an ERC twenty version of ether, just because of the the issues of putting uh, having ether interoperate with erc20 stuff um so you can you can send uh, a ether backed token it with aztec protocol and then you can have a private transaction but it's just like the same functionality as monero or zcash um and so we, we you can start to ask yourselves like why do we need these other chains could you make private die yeah that's that's how they that's what they started out with as an experiment that was the first so yeah a private die transaction has happened on ethereum what else? What what other examples of uh, gobbling up features of, of of you know other altcoins? Bitshares, not all of Bitshares is on Ethereum, but Bitshares created the uh, the CDP idea. Um, so the MakerDAO CDPs is kind of a, a copy of Bitshares, but with the MakerDAO governance token added onto it. Um, and so in addition to MakerDAO, you can also see Compound Finance and Augur have taken off this year. 
And so the, a, a narrative is the decentralized finance platform of Ethereum. Uh, and so where Ether is used to uh, be locked up in order to have like value as collateral locked up for people to do things uh, such as make bets on Augur or pull out a, a stable asset coin called DAI or to uh, just loan out in Compound. Uh, so we see this emerging narrative of decentralized finance being built on Ethereum, which is pretty cool. What was that website that I was uh, telling you about that you already knew of uh, that essentially just so, showed like the six DeFi apps and how much Ether was, was put inside their contracts? Yeah, what is that? I'm going to Google that really quick. Oh yeah, there's also while I uh, while I Google that, there's also Uniswap, which is added in this list. And Uniswap is Uniswap, U N I Swap, um, is an exchange on Ethereum, uh, and so it uh, it allows people to deposit funds for a trading pair, and so you can deposit Ether and uh, you know Dai or Ether and you know any other token basically, and you you. Uh, deposit an equal amount of both uh, US dollar denominated amount and then you are like a market maker for both of them and so you collect fees as a market maker and all you have to do is allocate your funds and so it uh, is a lockup because you're locking up funds into this exchange in order to uh, provide liquidity for people who want to trade uh, so it's another method of decentralized finance and now it's an actually a true uh, uh, non-custodial uh, decentralized exchange as opposed to um, IDEX or, you know, the other ones that claim to be decentralized, but only a few parts of them are decentralized. Are the users, or sorry, are the founders and developers known? Yes. Yes, their name is known. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just not going to be interested in any decentralized exchange on top of Ethereum or in general, unless they're anonymous, unless the founders and developers are completely anonymous. Why is that? Just look at what's happened. If you can identify the leaders, the U.S. will tell them you cannot do business with Americans and to put a block on American IP addresses. So mm -hmm. just like IDEX, just like many others. So honestly, like if it gets any traction, I suspect that it will be revealed that it's really centralized or people are going to wise up and start being anonymous and then it gets interesting. Uh, so the... It really matters if the creator has control over the contract address and so it's totally possible that the contract address the creator doesn't have control over and people are just adding on to it rather than controlling it from the base um, and so it is like if the creator could go away and the thing would just operate just fine it's i mean it's decentralized just like other projects uh the we're gonna see the website is uh, oh, it's Mike McDonald's GitHub. We'll we'll have the link in the show notes. But if you want to go to it right now, it's Mike McDonald MC and yeah, you can find it there. Um, and so it's just a measure. Sorry, uh, it, it shows you the number, the amount of ether that's locked in decentralized finance. Uh, and so it's it's a claim. It's and I, I agree with this actually is that it's claiming that ether is this lockup token where you have these apps that need to have value somehow and they get that by people locking up ether in order for these apps to be built uh, and to do stuff for example like auger wouldn't work if people didn't lock up ether in it same thing with maker uh, and so the idea and this is another emerging theme from 2018 for ether is that ether is the lockup token uh, and so rather than like money 
well, or rather than like a, a transacting currency, it's more of like a currency that you lock up in order to do stuff. So that's pretty cool. Speaking of that, there is a lot of Bitcoin uh, in the Lightning Network right now. There's a lot of Bitcoin like locked up in channels. How much? I think it's over 400 Bitcoin and any new node is automatically set to private. So it's much more difficult to actually tell what the actual amount is. But yeah, it is 475 Bitcoin. That's a lot of Bitcoin. We're going to, in the future, we're going to have an episode with a Bitcoin uh, expert and he's going to tell us how to uh, create passive income with your Bitcoin through the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So I'm excited for that episode in the future. It's not necessarily going to be like a step-by-step guide of how to make passive income, but more like how does the economics of creating Mm -hmm. income on the Lightning Network work? And then obviously you guys are smart. We expect you to to figure out how to turn Mm -hmm. that into profit yourselves. But it's good to know the uh, economic incentives of, of it. And then you can also explain it to other people and get that virus spreading. So another thing that kind of developed in 2018 was the swift death of ICOs in the United States. I feel like that could have been very expected, but uh, seeing it unfold was pretty crazy. Yeah, so that's a, that's a very interesting story. Uh, and I can't remember who said this. Uh, it was another podcast I was listening to, but I can actually speak from this from firsthand experience being from the world of ICO consulting, uh, is that uh, 2017 ICOs, they were around in the same way that, that scam coins and shit coins were around, and they have also started to leave. Uh, and so the, the analogy is that uh, the number of bad projects are just rapidly leaving, while the number of good projects are about the same. Uh, and so we're just seeing a flushing out. Like the, people are seeing that the money's not here anymore. Like people aren't throwing their money at some random ICO. Like your your ICO called useless Ethereum token isn't going to get ten thousand ether anymore. And like I can't believe like that's just a sign of the times. Is when you ICO a token called useless Ethereum token and you receive like seventeen million dollars for it. Like that's not just that's just not happening these days. But we are seeing about the same, if not better quality icos uh and so i wish i did that yeah too easy so yeah i i'm i'm excited to see well first we're we're seeing like the emergence of security token platforms which i'm not terribly excited about but i'm glad they're here these are platforms like harbor or trust token uh trust token i'm actually pretty excited about um just because it might be it might be the the platform that can interoperate with normal users without kyc and aml and stuff like that maybe one day in the distant future and so I think we're going to see ICOs on those platforms more than we're used to. Um, and just rather than just collecting Ether from everyone at large, we're, we're going to see those. Have you heard of Republic? I have not. Republic.co and Republic Crypto. Essentially, it's a platform to do legal angel investing as a non-institutional investor, as well as legal ICO investing in the United States. Check them out. I mean, we don't even know what is actually like legal like lawyers approved their clients ico um and whether whether or not the sec agrees with that is a totally different story uh and so like after basis returned all of their funds to investors recently basis the stablecoin uh people are commenting on like hey we're going to see a lot more of that in the future where people are going to be like we don't know how to do this legally here's your money back sorry we lost 95 percent of it in the bull in the bear market yeah, I mean, I think here's a huge lesson that we should all take into account from 2017 and 2018 is that 
not just anything is the next next Bitcoin and not just anything is the next Ethereum. And to have these sort of legitimate network effects be established and move forward is really, really, really hard. So like if something is going to be the next something, it's going to have to be really legit. Yeah, I would I would totally agree. Uh, having a project go live late 2017 or 2018, it just didn't give your project enough time for it to really grow its community. Uh, EOS seems to have been the best at that, but I'm, I would still be very fearful as uh, an EOS stakeholder just because like having like six months of time to build a community is just not enough time. Uh, so that's where Bitcoin and Ethereum, Bitcoin will always have this advantage and Ethereum had this advantage compared to all other Ethereum killers is that Ethereum was around before this bull market started and it already had the community going into it. And that's just not true for things like Tron or EOS or Tezos or IOTA or stuff like that. And so it, it, it keeping your community in this bear market is so important and we're starting to see projects just not be able to retain the excitement um, and therefore drive developers uh, adoption and stuff like that. There was an article that came out last week. I forgot. I'm going to, I'll link in the show notes, but I was talking about how it was not, it's not a Bitcoin mining death spiral that's happening, but rather it is an EOS validator death spiral because running the facilities is becoming too expensive for the inflation. And there's no such thing as a difficulty adjustment in EOS. Whereas Bitcoin becomes easier to mine. Ethereum becomes easier to mine. Um, there's no such thing as a difficulty adjustment in EOS. Yeah, so the block producers are subject to the whims of people selling the EOS token. Um, yeah. By the way, there are a lot of scammers out there, and I don't. I'm not gonna call out anyone in particular, but there are rumors going around about specific thought leaders promoting said token and then at the same time shorting it. So. Um, just be wary of everyone. Like that is definitely a major theme from 2017, 2018 is you don't know who has what incentives and what they're doing in on, you know, privately versus what they're doing publicly. Those who are smart will, you know, obviously try to, you know, help themselves make money, not necessarily help you. So don't get dumped on by some traders uh, and don't listen to some thought leader and why they're bullish on some shit while they're at the same time, you know, shorting it on the other end. Be your own thought leader. You should be able to answer the question if this token is a good investment or not. I think the I think it's been pretty interesting to watch cryptocurrency in the media. I mean, my impression is that it's super freaking bullish. Even if the news is bad, Bitcoin is literally being talked about and crypto is literally being talked about every single day in the mainstream media. And then on top of that, essentially, it seems like unlimited amounts of effort to apply to build an ETF. And there's going to be essentially applications until it becomes approved. So it seems as though it's going to happen eventually. So I think all of those developments are super, super bullish. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not so convinced. Uh, I've often considered crypto is in its own space and people are really talking about, oh, institutional money, oh, building bridges for value to come onto cryptocurrency. And yeah, at the end of the day, these things have to be valuable. Like having a smoother transition from traditional markets to cryptocurrency markets is great. But I think people are often make a mistake when they're saying like, oh yeah, cryptocurrency, it's going to disrupt Uber, which is a 
hundred billion dollar company and it's going to disrupt Airbnb and it's a hundred or it's a ten billion dollar company and all that money is going to be brought into cryptocurrency. I think that's a wrong way to think of these things. Um, and somebody I'm talking to, uh, Ryan Sean Adams, uh, yeah, I believe he listens to the show. So sorry if I just mess, messed up your name. <laughs> uh, talks about how uh, the 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 power of cryptocurrency isn't to disrupt Web 2.0, but it's to really build on Web 3.0 the things that Web 2.0 were never able to do in the first place. And we can see that with decentralized finance, with MakerDAO, uh, decentralized permissionless loans decentralized exchanges uh and so i totally agree that in the end uber and airbnb will be disrupted by blockchain but it's not going to be the high value accruing things that happen in cryptocurrency uh and so uh i i'm more like a bitcoin etf is a very cool thing and it's going to gain like grab attention but i i only think it'll be a small part of the total value that's created by cryptocurrency simply because uh, it does novel things that we haven't seen before rather than old things in a new way. I don't care about the ETF from a makes like as a cool feature or anything like that. It just literally makes Bitcoin more liquid and more identifiable, which are fundamentally important and necessary. And it just enables people to have a very, very common rail to have exposure to Bitcoin, right? Now, all of a sudden, fund managers can allocate X amount. Any IRA or any 401k that has a normal brokerage options attached to it could allocate X amount of Bitcoin to it. Any other ETF could probably include Bitcoin in their basket. So it just, you know, that is a massive, massive, massive network effects and accessibility and liquidity gain. Um, but outside of that, it's just the meme of Bitcoin and crypto is spreading. That is the bigger message. The meme is spreading. And memes are so important in this. Dave and I were just talking about it. But we just talk about it every single day now. And everyone knows what it is. That's huge. Ryan Sean Adams. That was right. If you guys want to follow him on Twitter, it's Ryan S. Adams. He he says a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah, memes are powerful, dude. Memes are, and Pomp says this in his uh, tweets, you know, the virus is spreading. Uh, it's literally a virus. Like it, it, it spreads itself by hopping from brain to brain. Uh, not everyone captures the the virus, but me and Christian sure did. And you know, it, it and the, a lot of bright, talented people are leading the charge. Like the, the cryptocurrency, the the virus of cryptocurrency has the ability to lodge itself in the brains of really smart uh, engineers, really uh, talented uh, finance uh, people. Uh, investors, like I, I guess we might just be tooting our own our own horns here because we're in this space. But like crypto attracts really powerful brains, and I think that's something to take into account when you evaluate the worth of these systems at, at the same time. Totally, and I can't believe it wasn't on our list before. But one of the biggest themes of 2018 has been the brain drain of talent from every industry out there into crypto. It's honestly, it's like every single day you hear about some, you know, high up person who left to join X blockchain company or whatever. Facebook is hiring five people right now. Today, there's five new job postings um, for Facebook in marketing and engineering for blockchain in Menlo Park at their headquarters. Um, so the absolute brain drain is inc is crazy. There's a really good thought leader out there, uh, Nathaniel Whitmore. Uh, he does uh, a lot of really good stuff on Twitter and Medium, uh, but 
in one of his interviews, he said there has been an absolute onslaught and just brutal attack on the uh, existing workforces of other industries with just the amount of people that are moving into crypto. So that's some. I think that is fundamentally huge right there. I don't know if it's just a massive lagging indicator or if that just shows real growth, but I'm pretty optimistic. David and I both, again, work for crypto companies. Uh, and I I have to just say, like, I absolutely fell in love with crypto for this exact reason. If you are somebody that likes to learn things, it's really the place for you. It's a learner's paradise. There are so many, and it's partly why it's such a hard thing to get across to like your parents or to somebody who's not interested in in cryptocurrencies because when you start explaining a few things you have to explain like 10 more things for things to make sense uh so i mean it's just a huge barrier of knowledge and that's definitely one of the the things that hold crypto uh back the most is that it requires so much information to use uh and so you know one of the one of the big themes of 2018 was adoption and usability and user experience and we're definitely getting better at that but if you are a person who is incentivized to go learn these things yourself and to figure it out yourself and really be able to explain these things to other people, you will just be that further ahead of the pack and you will be uh, rewarded appropriately. Yeah. Uh, something. So a term that I learned in crypto and I've learned so many terms and so many things about the world from you know, getting into crypto and going down this adventure uh, this past year and a half or so. Um, but there's this term of what's called a polymath. And a polymath is a person that is essentially a genius in many different fields, right? So someone who's a lawyer, computer scientist, economist, and, you know, an amazing writer all at the same time. One that is alive right now is Nick Zabo. People would say that Satoshi was probably a polymath. I mean, is Nick Zabo and Satoshi is probably probably the same person, don't you think? <laughs> we, we do not know that, and I'm not even going to speculate on it, but Nick Zabo is definitely a polymath. Um, people would argue that Vitalik might be. But regardless, cryptocurrency forces you to think like a polymath. All of a sudden, like, I did not give a shit about developing ever in my life before. You know, I've always been exposed to computers, and, uh, you know, I think that I've had interesting exposure to open source development but now I'm like seriously considering like learning how to develop and like at least become competent. So, um, you know, you have to learn about economics. You have to learn about the power grid if you're, you know, interested in Bitcoin and proof of work. You have to learn about uh, social consensus. You have to learn about things that you were never taught, like no, things that were never an issue before. Like you have to think about money. And not just like like the best ways to save your money, but like what money is. I had never been presented with that question before, and like it's such a, in a such an important question to the human race. And like it, it, the fact that I had to stumble into cryptocurrency for somebody to ask me what money is, it's astounding that that, that nowhere along somebody's lifespan do you ever uh, are ever presented with that question. And I, I think that's something that's really valuable about the crypto world is that. Uh, even aside from cryptocurrency or money, like people are asking really important questions simply about like the, the systems that we use, like talking about uh, digital surveillance, like digital surveillance and cryptocurrency aren't really related directly, but it's still a very common topic you find in this place. And that's one of the reasons why I love cryptocurrency is the people in this world ask the important questions to, to talk about like, what does this mean for, for the human society? Um, and that's, that's something that, that once I realized, I realized I was staying in crypto forever. 
And it's just, honestly, everything about crypto is so relevant. Like, even looking what's happening in Europe and France today, it's about their banking system, and it's about the EU and that experiment in central planning. And crypto is essentially the, the exact opposite of that. There's this amazing photo of one of the yellow vests very early on in the Paris protests, which you know are still pretty much going on. Um, it's been like, what, almost a month now, which is freaking crazy to think that Paris has essentially been rioting for, or Parisians have been rioting, and French people have been rioting for over a month in their capital. Um, but this yellow vest, he just had a buy Bitcoin on the back of his vest and that image was uh going viral on twitter and i mean honestly again if you listen to these people and how they're talking uh you know cryptocurrency is the opposite of what they're experiencing now yeah absolutely and i think this is just the beginning of this conversation um one of the things i've i've learned about uh, uh in cryptocurrency is is economics um economics within cryptocurrency but also e- just general economics uh, and I and it's really being can be able uh, to help me uh, kind of place cryptocurrency in the wider world at large. Um, and so I think something that's going to unfold in the next five years is that the crypto markets and the real world mar- market start to become a little bit more connected, a little bit more reciprocal to each other. Uh, and so like we're we're watching the U.S. dollar experiment unfold, and we're watching the European Union unfold, and we're going to be able to see directly how that impacts crypto prices based on. Uh, crypto becoming a more liquid and bridged asset to the other markets. Um, so pay attention to that story. It's going to be a good one. Grab the popcorn. David is working on a, his first Bitcoin article, and part of it is about how we are all playing the Bitcoin game. And that's kind of uh, you know, a wider theme is that by not holding or not participating, you are taking the position, and that is called being a no-coiner. Mm-hmm. In general, I think this is a great discussion. I, you know, we kind of got off the rails a little bit, but for the most part, most part, we were pretty focused. Um, again, happy birthday, David! It's been a, it's been a good time doing this show. If any of you guys are going to be at East Denver, I will also be at East Denver. So hit me up on Twitter, and we can, we can talk about it. Uh, I'm so excited. East Denver was when I realized I was not going back to the real world, and I was going to stay in crypto land. Uh, so it's a, it's a special moment for me. I hope to share it with any of you listeners who are going to be there. Uh, if you guys have any topic requests, please let us know on Twitter. Let us know what you think about what we talk about. Uh, if we, if we thought, if you thought that we were going to talk about something, but then we didn't let us know about that. So we can be sure to hit it on future episodes or any other subject matter that you guys think we should cover. Uh, let us know. Yeah, guys, and in general, if you are on Twitter, which I'm sure most of you are because that's how you would have found out about this show, make sure to interact with us, shout out. Uh, We love retweets, all that kind of stuff. We're hustling here trying to grow this show. We'd appreciate some love and uh, some interactions on Twitter. That'd be great. And for everyone who's been supporting us, again, uh, much love, much love from here. All right, and hopefully we'll get another episode out before the new year, so stay stay tuned for that. Um, Christian, any last words? Happy holidays, y'all. You know where to find us, CK underscore Snarks on Twitter. David? Trustless State, that's three S's in the middle, and then you can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening, guys.
It's a fool, then it's a fool, you too.